Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 327 of the Fun with Cars Motorsports Podcast, or episode 14 of 2022. I'm Robin Warner, and today I'm joined by the man who is just now willing to sell MercedesF1Porpoising.com at a low, low price, Christopher Roche. Hey, Chris. Hey, Robin. How how low of a price are we talking here? <laughs> $140 million. Oh, okay. That's not quite as low as I was expecting. What was the price beforehand? It is Tuesday afternoon, May 24th, and Chris and I are going to talk about the what? Spanish Grand Prix. But first, Chris, is there any Formula One news you'd like to discuss? Well, I bring that number up, Robin, because uh, Christian Horner is claiming poverty that some teams will not be able to make the last four or five races of the season because they'll have spent all their money. Because the budget cap, of course, is in place. It's 140 mil for this year, this season, 2022. And he's rapidly burning through it. Oh, inflation's terrible, Robin. He has to spend an extra dollar for his Starbucks and all of a sudden he's (laughs) he's got no money left over. But, you know, that doesn't stop him bringing a raft of upgrades to the car over the weekend, did it? Well, that's what's really fascinating about such a claim is that uh, Matteo Bonato very specifically said, I don't know how Red Bull is going to keep doing these upgrades and make the budget. (laughs) And here we are just a race weekend later hearing Red Bull saying, hey, this budget is kind of ridiculous, right, everybody? Right? (laughs) So he's got some support. Some of the other teams are, are with him saying that there needs to be some sort of inflation link to the cap. Uh, they're citing shipping costs having gone up by 50%. Um, but there are others in the F1 community that uh, are not so convinced. So Otmar Safnauer, um, who heads up the Alpine racing operation, was, well, yeah, we knew there was going to be inflation, so we budgeted for it. So, you know, get right. a grip. Also, so, it's the same for everybody. It's not like shipping only went up 50% for Red Bull Racing. Right, exactly. And, you know, it does... Bring to a larger point, though, uh, between the last couple of Grand Prix, uh, the FIA has come in for quite a lot of bashing. So essentially, Horner was aiming his complaint at the FIA, saying, you guys set the the budget cap and you guys need to fix this. Uh, You've got a duty of care to to help us through these tough inflationary periods. And we had also Fernando Alonso absolutely unleashing before the Spanish Grand Prix in in the press conferences on the Thursday uh, he was utterly scathing of his of his uh, opinions on the the latest stewards that uh, have uh, and and race director uh, and the whole organisation that's been established in the uh, wake of last year's uh, season-ending debacle. Um, but he's uh, he's very unhappy, and there's also a general unhappiness that the FIA are refusing to allow F1 to add more sprint races to the calendar. So. All in all, nobody really likes the FIA these days. <laughs> well, it's nice that we can all get together and uh, dislike someone. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I obviously, I, I find that last one particularly interesting because, to me, the calendar seems quite full. And why would you want to add more spring races? Sprint, sorry, sprint races. Oh, sprint! Yeah, ah, those, yes. Th- those are your those favorite things, things, Robin. The the twenty lap or so races held on a Saturday to determine who starts on the front row for the proper Grand Prix. Wait, now hold on. The teams want more of those? Oh, of course they do. 
Because <laughs> they're not busy enough. Why? I mean, uh, I, first of all, that goes right in the face of this budget we were just talking about. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that drives me nuts. You know, when I had my time working public relations, I dealt with these types of things where people are like, the car's too short. And why? Also, why isn't there more legroom inside? And also, why isn't it taller? I don't have enough headroom. Also, why is it so tall? You know, it's like, okay, guys, do you even hear yourselves? Do you know what I'm saying? So if you add more sprint races, you'd have to increase the budget. And if you increase the budget and added more sprint races, you'd be in the same problem. You'd have the same problem you've always had. Oh, okay. Sorry. You're getting me. I see my soapbox right next to me, and I just about stood on it. But I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna avoid it. So let's let's uh, let's move on to the weekend. Yep. It was for us engineering types a mega mega weekend because this was the weekend of upgrades. It was. I really liked Haz's upgrades. They brought absolutely nothing, and yet still qualified both cars in the top ten. So there you go. They brought well, Magnuson is what they brought. Man, <laughs> oh man. Um, yeah, it, there were a lot of upgrades. Uh, Ferrari had some, Red Bull had some more, and Mercedes, I think, uh, had a lot, and they worked. Or, or certainly, they seem to be uh, allow the car to be more effective than it has so far this season. Well, you know, so we saw some real promising signs on Friday, but I was like, oh, pump your brakes, Robin. We saw real promising signs on Friday in Miami as well. But then on Saturday... It seemed to really be carrying through. And the Mercedes still was kind of sort of in the same place it has been for this season so far, which is kind of like, you know, the third quickest team. But boy, oh boy, those gaps are tightening up, aren't they? Yeah, I think, you know, Charles did a phenomenal second run in Q3 that sort of made Mercedes look worse than they really were. And, and I'm not, the, the, the sounds coming out of the team were that they didn't quite get the tires in the right operating window. So that six tenths or so was, was maybe a little bit bigger than they were expecting or should have been. Um, but, uh, but yeah, they definitely Saturday and Sunday, the upgrades worked um, as opposed to Miami where they only worked on Friday. Uh, Cause we could talk about the race pace in a little bit here, but but yeah, I mean, splitting the splitting the Red Bulls, um, I think you, you know you could say that they're now in the mix. Uh, Sergio didn't do a very good qualifying lap. Uh, I think his time was uh, three quarters of a second behind his teammate, uh, which is a little embarrassing for him. Uh, which obviously gave the Mercedes quite a big window to hit to split the Red Bulls, but uh, but they wouldn't have done in previous races based on being you know about a second off the pace. Yeah. And so that was really encouraging to see. And, I mean, you could also – it isn't just a matter of them saying it or seeing the lap times. I'm, it, you can physically see whenever we had onboards of the Mercedes that they were not porpoising or bouncing up and down like they used to. I mean, it's not perfect, of course, but th- that seems like they definitely took a big bite out of that issue. Oh, actually, there was an interesting plot that was – that was put on a website somewhere that I found <laughs> that compared porpoising levels amongst all 10 cars. And Mercedes had the least in Spain during the race. Well, so, there you go. And mm-hmm. um, I, I'm jumping ahead a little bit. This was a post-race comment that George Russell said, but he's like, look, we now found our baseline that we can build upon. So basically what Russell was kind of hinting at is 
now we have the foundation and we can build our house. To me, that seems to be like there's going to be more opportunities for Mercedes drivers, you know, obviously Hamilton and Russell to push more opportunities to develop and have the developments make sense. Like it'll, it'll follow a more logical path if indeed this uh, porpoising fix carries through throughout the rest of the season. Yeah, the point they're making now, they've solved the, the porpoising issue. It can run the car at the ride height they intended. They can now start to chase performance. So there was yeah, really positive noises coming throughout the team and both drivers. Um, and uh, yeah, that was good. And it looked like Ferrari's upgrades also uh, were quite effective, certainly in Charles's hands. I mean, that that was a an incredible lap to, to secure pole. After he just kind of kind of screwed the pooch uh, in his first run in Q3, yeah, and just kind of seemingly like followed a Formula Drift and tried to <laughs> try to pull something crazy in the penultimate corner and uh, just just spun around lazily almost and. Uh, and it's like, oh dear! All right, now the pressure is really, really on. And yeah, he one hundred percent delivered. It just, it was just one of those like, it, Charles Leclerc is just been so massively impressive on so many levels, and I think he displayed a lot of his strengths all in this one weekend. And we'll get to more of that in a minute. Yeah, it was a, it was a wonderful pole lap, and his teammate did a a decent job too i know uh, max was hampered in q3 because his drs didn't work in his second run but carlos got pretty close to to max's time um i think he was just about a tenth off so decent effort by carlos as well so strong strong showing by ferrari in qualifying and then um i, I think we should talk about some of the teams whose upgrades didn't, didn't seem to work some mclaren at yes. it Tough old qualifying, uh, especially oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. for Lando Tonsillitis Norris, who um, <laughs> <laughs> who uh, who had his lap deleted that would have got him into Q three by what looked to be uh, you know oh square, and that was of that all. was that was a that would be a reason to be upset with the FIA that one <laughs> right. I mean that was oh because I mean that's one of the very few corners. Where I've been saying this is just put gravel, just put gravel there and make it obvious where the end of the track was. Oh, there In is Spain, gravel there. there's gravel there, but there's like, you know, there's like 20 millimeters worth of space where a Formula One car can fit before it goes gravel. And they <laughs> called that. Why? Yeah, exactly. You don't need track limits at that corner. It's absolutely absurd. Um, yeah, that, and I don't even know how they're measuring it that accurately because from the onboard, you could have argued that his uh, his right tires were on the line, so I don't even know how they called that. But anyway, they did, and so he lost the lap and, and started eleventh. Um, and um, the green Red Bulls didn't perform too well either. Uh, so <laughs> Red Bull caused quite a stir. I, I happen to believe I happen to believe Aston Martin on the, you know, they 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 showed the FIA unsatisfying amount of evidence to say that. This is our own design, not Red Bulls. And the reason why I believe them is because they're still just far, far behind <laughs> Red Bulls. That's, I mean, when it, when it was Force India, it was like, yeah, that looks a lot like the Mercedes. And they're also really, really quick. Or Racing Point at the time, I guess it was. Yep. It was super close at the time. So now they're being accused of following Red Bull instead of Mercedes. But 
it's not anywhere near Red Bull Racing's pace. And it's still a Mercedes power plant or power unit, excuse me. Yeah, exactly. It, it did not perform very well. Now, whether or not the upgrade hasn't worked or um, they've missed some of the subtlety that Red Bull actually engineered below the skin, uh, who knows? But uh, we'll have to give it obviously a few more races before we can ride it off entirely but it didn't look promising well what is um, adrian newey a b-minus designer anyway i mean come on <laughs> what those details don't matter yeah. um so back to has i mean it was impressive that both drivers got into q3 uh, so it's a sort of a good day bad day for mick you know he's his first showing in q3 apparently uh gunter steiner has, has not been pulling any punches and told him he needed to close the gap to magnuson in order to uh, secure his seat for for next season and beyond um so you know q3 would seem to be a good uh, response to that but he was almost seven tenths off magnuson's pace um so he's got some work to do magnuson is uh showing him a clean pair of heels at the moment and schumacher struggling to respond I, I would say yeah i mean schumacher i mean what a case of uh, day and night to have <laughs> to have uh mazepin as his teammate in 21 and he looks like the second coming of Michael Schumacher, his dad, and then next year is like, oh, wait. <laughs> and it just, I think more than anything, gives us an even clearer indication of uh, where uh, Mazepin's performance was. Exactly. And um, the race didn't go very well for either of them. Should we talk about that? Yeah, let's uh, jump into Sunday for sure. Yeah, so poor old Fernando, home race, um, and the Alpine seemed to be working you know, reasonably well around uh, the Barcelona track. He had a power unit change and had to start at the back of the grid, so not ideal for him. Yeah, started in the pit lane, I believe. And then we had lots of excitement with uh, Max Verstappen's car. I guess uh, they also had a fuel temperature issue, so they were they were struggling to get him out um, on his reconnaissance laps, and then they were constantly fiddling with his DRS. Even Adrian knew he was helping out on that one, but uh, t- to no avail because he had DRS issues... Uh, throughout the Grand Prix. So for whatever reason, um, Red Bull seemed to have forgotten how to engineer a DRS system. I mean, how, how many years have we had DRS now? 10? 15? Well, and its Six, performance like was... It, 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 it's not that it didn't work or that it worked. It's it, it worked intermittently. It was like someone forgot a semicolon in the computer co- programming. <laughs> and so there's a couple of lines of code that isn't working or... They used a while loop instead of an if statement somewhere, and uh, and <laughs> I mean it just it sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't, and they started saying, "Okay, press it once after the curbing, but don't look at it, <laughs> and hold it down for three quarters of a second when you press it the one time, you know." And it was just like it was just goofy. It was it was just I I felt I genuinely felt bad for Max. Oh, I didn't feel bad for him. And I haven't felt bad for Max in a long time. But I was amused by by some of his comments. You know, we can't even engineer a DRS system, I think, was one of his lines, which, you know, good. Max, if you could do it better, you know, take your gloves off, get your spanner yeah, out. Yeah, right, no kidding. <laughs> yeah, 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 jump on in, buddy. Go for yeah. it. Um, yeah, I, you know, I, give him a roll of duct tape, see what he can do. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it looked like it looked like we were going to have a Charles win, didn't it? Look, he oh my, off I mean, into it looked the like we were going to have just absolute dominance. I mean, he was he was a full pit stop and then some ahead, and he was controlling 
the pace, controlling his car, managing his tires really, really well because tire management has been an issue generally. This is a brand new tire, brand new car, etc. And for Ferrari, they've been behind on tire management compared right. to Red Bull yep. and been public about that. And it seemed like they'd made some big progress, good progress there. And all of a sudden, oh my God, that was devastating. Yeah, so he had um, a turbo and an MGUH failure. Um, so they may still be able to, to salvage um, the rest of the internal combustion engine and, and other components like the kinetic element of the MGU. Um, but those two components will have to be replaced. You only get three of those, three each of those uh, a season. So not ideal. And there was a lot of discussion about the fact that uh, the Alfa Romeo of Joe also had a power unit failure. Now, I haven't heard if that was the same components, but uh, but not ideal. Ferrari PUs um, struggling to last the distance at the moment. So, um, yeah, weird, because Ferrari have, uh, have looked pretty strong uh, on reliability. Uh, so far this season and and to lose what looked like uh you know an unassailable position to win the spanish grand prix was pretty pretty devastating for them i think well how, how much do you think because it was uncharacteristically hot in spain it's i mean spanish grand prix is a warm one but they were saying approaching 50 degree track temperatures i mean it was very very warm i think it was over 35 degrees. I'm, this is in celsius of course um, so, I mean, you know, uh, what are we talking about? Well over a hundred degrees track temperature, like 120 ish degrees track temperature. And I think well into the nineties air temperature. Yeah. But we've already been to the middle East, haven't we? And, and Australia is not a cold country. Um, so I, I know that they run different cooling, uh, systems at different Grand Prix and I know they have to establish what they're going to run um, prior to qualifying and I think it was a little hotter than they were expecting on Sunday so there might might have been a few caught out or some miscalculations done but it seems to me that uh, that, that maybe there's something else going here, on here um, and Ferrari may need to have a look at those components and figure out if there's a reliability issue they did claim that there wasn't a design or manufacturing issue with the components <laughs> so you wonder what else is left <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah, but right. uh, you know, it's um, yeah, it was it, it was it was a shame for for Charles because as we, we said earlier, great great pole lap, uh, led off the line perfectly, kept kept Max behind him, ran uh, you know some very good strong consistent pace, wasn't caught out by any gusty winds, <laughs> right, <laughs> yeah. right, right, and and, uh, and looked like he was cantering um, until until the PU failure. Uh, which didn't really give him any warning at all. It just came out of the blue, didn't it? Just one minute, it, yeah. it, he was going along nicely. The next, no power. So a shame for him. Absolutely. And yet that showed off just another one of his great, great strengths. He went out around the team. He was giving everyone, uh, you know, showing his gratitude, showing his, you know, solace for the whole thing. He was talking with Bonato. And when it came time to talk with the press, he's being very magnanimous about the whole thing. And, talking about the positives from the weekend so his ability to stay even keeled and thinking about the larger prize the long-term goals i am massively impressed with that especially considering his age so um you know i i came away just more impressed with charles than i had been um before and i was already high you know highly impressed with his you know a lot of respect for his skills so 
Yeah, I think, I mean, I think he's smart enough to realise there's a bigger picture here, right? You know, having had a couple of seasons in an uncompetitive car, he's now got, he's now got a car that is, that is a race winner, um, that they're now demonstrating they can develop to be competitive with Red Bull. Um, so, you know, he's in a, he's in a competitive situation and is in with a real shot of, uh, of the title this year if, if, you know, if they can keep and sustain this level of performance. Um, whereas, now, you know, his, his t- teammate is, is not, he's in a whole different I, world. I was, that, was, that was where I was going to go as well. I, so I was going to say, I'm so curious to hear your, your response. I was going to say, so his teammate also had bad luck. Um, but right at the beginning of the race, right at the very start of the race, his anti-stall t- kicked in at the start. And, uh, I don't know if that was his fault for causing the anti-stall to, to kick in or, if there were some, if there was something weird with grip calculations versus what the actual grip was, that kind of forced anti-stall to kick in. But as a result, he lost was it one or two positions right away from his third place starting position. Yeah, I mean that's not the first time this season that he's had trouble getting off the line cleanly. Uh, so you have to start to wonder whether it's him or, or um, you know, some of the processes that he and his his side of the, the garage are employing. Uh, it's not great. I mean, essentially, you know, if if your team leader goes down, you really want your know, your number two to be able to be there and, and win a race. And you know, given that everything that happened, especially with with Max's troubles. Uh, with DRS and getting past George Russell and his own spin, of course, um, you know you would have you would have expected Carlos to to have a real opportunity to win his home Grand Prix. Exactly, and, his home race, his first, and, w- and the opportunities for good here were just through the roof. And he wasn't even close. I mean, look, let's give him let's give him let's not focus on the spin. He, he had the spin. He went off the track. But his pace after that wasn't exactly electric, was it? I mean, he allowed Lewis Hamilton to close him down and pass him. You know, it's uh, that's not good at all. Yeah, but no, that was a genius move on Carlos's part. Carlos knew that if he forced Lewis to track it down and pass him, that Lewis's components would get too hot <laughs> and he would have to slow way down. And get that position right, but it was a, it was just good, safe, good strategy, strategic move. Um, yeah, no, it, it, the pace wasn't there. It it it's been just <laughs> since he had the contract extension, he's just had a miserable time. <laughs> so he's really got to shake off these gremlins and uh, just kind of get his head down and get some good results in and kind of get his consistency back. That was such a strength of his. In 21, which put him in such high regard within Ferrari circles last year, and we're not seeing the same thing this time around. Yeah, it was interesting how Matteo Bonotto felt the need to talk about his struggles with this car and its handling characteristics, and and he, I guess he doesn't like the rear end sensitivity of this this uh, generation of F1 cars, and and his dad was also defending him a little bit. So you know, clearly they feel, you know. They could see he's under pressure. They could see he's struggling, and, uh, and and they need to talk about this to sort of get it out in the open and, and show that they're supporting him. But really, not ideal. I mean, to 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 finish fourth, which really should have been fifth, is just not good enough in that car. Um, and he's really got to find he's got to find some performance, and it's not going to get any easier. You know, we're off to Monaco next, and there is no margin for error at Monaco. 
So he really needs a clean weekend, um, and he needs to he needs to get a good result here. Or I th- I fear for his future because this could spiral out of control pretty quickly. I think. Let's you and I shift to some better news. Yeah. And that better news is my personal driver of the day, George Russell in that Mercedes. Oh man, what a fantastic show he put on. I loved watching every lap of George Russell's. That was just incredible work. Yeah, it was a strong, strong race by George. He demonstrated he's not only got, you know, the pace, but he's got the racecraft, which has been questioned in the past when he was at Williams. Um, You know, to be able to hold off and repass uh, Max and Sergio for quite so many laps was 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 a good effort, and of course you know Max was hampered with, without DRS, but uh, you know there was that one memorable lap where Max got him got him with DRS down on the inside, and George hung in on the outside and and held on to the position, and they were sort of side by side what through one two and and turn three I think he only got the pass completed yeah. uh, or repassed he, Max he was on, passed into one passed him back around the outside of three. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly yeah. it. And held on through four. So, yeah, that was a phenomenal drive. Um, really, really. George Russell led the race. He led he, a few laps of the race. Yeah. It was yeah, just, yeah. <laughs> there were a couple of moments, because we weren't sure about tire dag yet. There were a couple of moments where like, is it, could he, is this possible that George <laughs> Russell's going to win this thing? Uh, you know, reality set in soon enough. But there were there were a few laps there where it was looking quite good for him. Yeah, I mean, I didn't see him make a mistake, did you? I mean, he just seemed to be on top of everything. I mean, he very solid race pace, uh, you know, pitted without any sort of uh, issues. And while you've got two top-line drivers spinning off, you know, he didn't look like making any sort of mistake. You know, his, his more illustrious teammate, uh, you know, had a torrid start to the Grand Prix, uh, which culminated in him clashing with uh, Magnussen, uh, which was deemed a racing incident, but that ruined Lewis's race. Um you know, George was keeping out of trouble and um, putting the Red Bulls under as much pressure as he could. And yeah, I mean, definitely, you know, the, the thing with F1 is when you get a top line seat, you have to take, you know, the opportunity. You have to show that you deserve it and, and uh, prove you're worthy. And George is doing that in the Mercedes. He is um, he's really taken to his new life at Mercedes uh, like a duck to water and he's doing a great job. And I just want to quickly state that uh, I called him my personal driver of the day because the F1 fan vote driver of the day was his teammate, Lewis Hamilton, which, you know, Lewis had a strong race. I'm certainly not trying to discount that, but boy, oh boy, the effort that Russell put in was so mega for me. To me, that transcended what uh, Lewis did. So uh, obviously I didn't think Lewis drove poorly, <laughs> but um uh, for me, I, I didn't think it was driver of the day worthy. Yeah, that's a, you know, you could have quite a debate about that. I mean, you could argue that Max, having overcome his own, you know, spin and mechanical issues with the DRS to come back and win it quite as comfortably as he did with, you know, a little bit of help from his teammate and and, and some team orders. But, you know, there were times where his pace was, uh, was, was just on a different level to pretty much everyone else. And, uh, despite sounding frustrated uh, in the cockpit, you know, he delivered um, a worthy a worthy drive to take, you know, full advantage of his, of his nearest championship rival's uh, issues. So, you know, fair play to Max. He, he delivered um, 
a good strong win. Um, I, I what did you make of Sergio's complaints that he should have been allowed to win the race? I didn't think he was fast enough, to be honest with you. Oh well, no, no, I fully get it. I mean, look, I think most people know the reality of the situation, but I think Sergio rightly was like, "Hey, you're telling me to my face that." He's not going to get special treatment. And I did the thing when it was my turn to get out of the way. But then you didn't let have him do the thing when it was his turn to get out of the way. I mean, there were a few laps there where had they let uh, Perez by just as they had let Verstappen by, same pace and everything else, that Sergio might have been able to pull a few more seconds in those intervening laps and have a bit of a gap that it would have been closer of who is going to be the winning driver in the Red Bull 1-2. Now, we all know who the championship contender is. That's clear. I mean, he's now literally the championship leader, Verstappen is. But, you know, if you take it literally and objectively, Sergio was saying, hey, man, you're telling me that if, if it's this fair, this wasn't fair. And so I, I fully 100%, 100% respect him making the argument. And he still did his duty as a teammate. He still did all the things they asked him to do. He just, in my opinion, made them feel a little bit uncomfortable about the, the details of what they did. Yeah, but let's get real for a second. I mean, if he really wants to win a Grand Prix, he's got to do the following. He's got to stick it on pole. He's got to lead from the start. And he's got to show pace that's as good, if not better, than his teammate and the competition. And then he might get a win. He's not going to get. Oh, a win. I thought you were going to say voodoo doll some more gusts of wind, <laughs> but okay. I mean, yeah, you, yours too. Yours works too. I mean, you know, being behind your teammate and uh, and, a, and a rival car when your teammate's having problems with his DRS and saying you got to let me by, that, that's it's never going to work. Not, not in that situation. Not when you know that the whole team revolves around Max Verstappen. I mean, that's quite literally absurd. So. I understand his frustration, right? He, you, know, you get you get a seat in a race-winning car. You've won a couple of races now, and you see that you know maybe if if Max suffered you know some sort of car accident, you might have a chance at the championship. Um, but in reality, uh, you, you're the number two. So I don't want to hear I don't want to hear lots of complaining about him getting his shot. You've got to drive like a number one if you want to be treated like a number one. You can't be out qualified by almost seven tenths of a second. That's just that's just the reality of it. So, uh, what I hope this does for Sergio is he is it bucks him up and realizes he's got to get closer to the ultimate pace if he wants to if he wants to win and and actually get a shot at the t- at the title. Because you know if we get to a situation where Max and he are, are romping off into the distance in the championship, then maybe he will get that shot. But right now, it's not going to happen. Well, I mean, to be fair, though, I mean, he I forget if it was one of the Middle East races. I think it was Saudi Arabia. He did stick it on pole. I mean, he has done that, you know, so it's it's it wasn't at this weekend at the Spanish Grand Prix, but he has he has been there. Well, I think so. How many races has he been up against Max in the same car? What are we up to? Probably about 20 now, 20, maybe 25 races. Yeah, and how many ti- how many times has he out qualified Max? I I don't know the number, well, but at least I know it's less once. Than, well, what there else you go. You? <laughs> One out of twenty-five. That's your temperature contender. Let's put all our resources behind Sergio. I mean, come on, get real. 
Uh, I don't know. I kind of prefer the fantasy. I don't know. I just there's there's something about the way Max goes about himself that it 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 makes it harder for me to be a fan of his. Fully respect his talent. Oh, definitely respect his talent, but not always his demeanor. I suppose his racing demeanor. I don't know if there's a specific term for that, but you know what I'm getting at. I think. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that one. He can be tough to to like at times. Um, I I do appreciate. I will go on record as saying that his racecraft this year is a world away from last year, and it is so much better. Agreed. And so I'm very, really happy to see that that you know whether it's him making a mental change or whether or not it's the new rules of racing that have come into effect this year. But whatever, it's much, much better. Um, so, so fair play to him for that. Um, look, we all like an underdog. I mean, I, you know, I was always a fan of. Rubens Barrichello when he was up against Michael Schumacher and we all want to see you know the number two guy get a win occasionally but you've got to perform at a slightly higher level I think Sergio's performance wasn't wasn't enough to warrant uh you know not, not being forced to deploy team orders so yeah, yeah, uh yeah. so that's all I'm saying hopefully he'll get to that level where it where Red Bull think twice about it and and uh He'll, he'll be able to go on and, and get the results he thinks he deserves. Um, but let's talk about Lewis. I mean, so the thing I want to highlight with Lewis that was that was really, I think, the most important thing in terms of understanding where Mercedes are in terms of ultimate pace. If you look at the fastest laps from the Grand Prix, the fastest guy was actually Sergio. He got the fastest lap with a 24.108. The next guy was Hamilton with a 24.253. So just about a tenth and a half second slower. Uh, than Red Bull in in the in the race, and and there were laps where Lewis was taking absolutely big chunks of time out of the leaders. I mean, he was more than a minute. I, behind. I think he held the fastest lap for a little while. Yeah, towards you but, know, like two thirds into the Grand Prix. But over the course of the race, he pulled in about thirty seconds to the front runners, which is pretty phenomenal, actually. And, you know, it, it does make you wonder what might have happened if he hadn't got caught up in that first lap incident. I do think the gamble to put him on medium tyres was a mistake. I know what they were thinking, uh, of, that he could hold on to, you know, fifth or sixth place from the start, and then he would be on a tyre advantage. But it left him a bit of a sitting duck in the first few corners. And that's why Magnussen decided to try and go around the outside in turn four, um, and ultimately led to him, you know, Hamilton getting a, a puncture. Um, but, um, you know, it was interesting, you know, from one moment, Hamilton basically saying, should we park the car? I want to save the engine to, you know, coming up and fighting for you know, strong points. I mean, f- fifth place is a decent, uh, decent point haul based on his, his and it would have been fourth place had the race been whatever, three laps, three laps fewer, something along those lines. I mean, yeah, right or, at the end that he had that massive overheating issue. He had to sort yeah. out. If he hadn't had the water leak, exactly. So, so yeah, I mean, real signs of progress from Mercedes. Obviously, they're not quite there and able to battle uh, right at the sharp end. But it looks it looks like we'll have a three-way fight, three-team three, three team fight, and maybe, you know, at least three, four drivers in, in uh, contending for wins before too long, which will be phenomenal. That'll be really exciting. If Mercedes ha- has the car, or if they're able to turn up the wick enough for Mercedes to have the car... The Mercedes driver pairing, I think, may well be the strongest. So that could be truly, truly fantastic to watch. But um, there's a smaller team that I want to talk about, uh, actually, 
Alfa Romeo or Lynn, they, I mean, they're the smaller team, just matter of factly. They're they're the team that aren't as as much worried about the budget cap because, you know, they wouldn't necessarily have that budget in the first place. And yet, Botas still well into Q3, finishes this race sixth, just continues to keep that car well up the grid. And it's it's just been it's just been fantastic to watch. Yeah, uh, he's been strong pretty much most of this year, hasn't he? And and has been pulling in some good points finishes. And uh, I think I tipped him for a podium. Um, I think they're going to have to improve their race strategy to get that podium. But for sure, it was another strong race. I, I think the only... The only uh, cloud for me was the fact that he got passed in some embarrassing places on a couple of occasions. But I think that was just purely due to the, the lamentable tyre strategy his team put him on. But uh, yeah, but yeah, I Which mean... Which he complained about publicly on the radio, but you know. Right. Um, but yeah, definitely good result def- and, and best of the rest. So uh, Valtteri and the Alfa Romeo are, um, are the best... Uh, driver uh, car combination outside of the top three teams for sure um, and yeah. you know he had stiff competition because the Alpines came on strong on Sunday uh, as did uh, Lando Norris um, and yeah. he held them off so fair play yeah, well I mean Alonso deserves a shout out here at, at the very least I mean finished in the points after starting at the very back as you discussed so put on a sh- put on a great great show where he was always moving forward for his home crowd so I thought that was very well done by Alonso since he's um since he's uh you know uh the 40 something in the <laughs> I think he is the oldest driver now. He no, is, I, yeah. I think he must be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, keeping us 40 somethings alive and well is Alonso and I appreciate him for that. Well, we we got to see one of his passes, didn't we? It was at the end of the main straight and it was a very decisive incisive pass i can't remember who it was on but he was he was uh, pulling no punches he dived down the inside um very robustly got the got the place um yeah fine effort uh, back at the grid tonight so strong race but i mean uh, you got to give uh, ocon some credit too i mean he qualified 12th but finished 7th and uh, also put in a strong strong run so the alpine seems to work much better on a sunday than a Saturday. Um, yeah. And uh, they, they are dragging it into the bottom half of the top 10 on a regular basis when they have clean races. So, uh, no, fair play. I, I didn't hold much hope for Alpine after the, the their troubles in preseason, but they seem, to be, um, they seem to be making progress. And one team that did not fare well in Spain, but I, I want to just kind of give a little context to uh, Williams, they were right there in the back again. Uh, in fact, Albon was the last finishing car. It's probably mainly because his hair wasn't red enough. But secondarily, um, apparently he damaged his floor um, after his first pit stop. And it made it a lot harder to manage the tires because he lost tons of downforce on the floor. And I think that's something worth talking about for a quick moment is the realization that Damaging your floor is a much bigger deal now than it was in years past. Yeah, you know, you look at some of the upgrades that were brought, uh, for example, the Mercedes and and the floor modifications, and they are really intricate. They've got all these tiny little pieces on them, 
um, you know, they're trying to seal the floor off to make the underfloor more effective. And you know, some of the giant sausage curbs um, and the serrated curbs that they have on the track would just obliterate all those tiny detailed features. So it, it must be a fairly easy thing to do to damage them if you uh, you know make a mistake. So uh, yeah, I mean, you know, Albon's had some strong weekends, um, and I think. I don't think Spain was ever a track that was necessarily going to suit the characteristics of the Williams. So, you know, the danger is to think that Williams have been left behind in the development battle. But it might be just it might be just due to the track and uh, and that particular mistake from from him. So hopefully, you know, Williams won't be cast uh, adrift of the rest of the pack. But I thought you wanted to you might want to discuss Daniel Ricciardo because I was stunned that post race there are now some discussions going on that he might not get a get a seat for next year based on his current what his current performances are going i'm willing to talk about it as much as you want i mean you know we it's now been pretty consistently a season and a half of him being beaten by lando ironic to a certain extent he is still the most recent race winner in a mclaren but you know the daniel ricardo of old it just there just does seem to be something about the McLaren that just doesn't click for Ricardo, and it keeps him from really being able to eke out those last tenths that he could do in uh, the other race cars. He just doesn't seem as fast as we know he is. Yeah, I mean, when your teammate is is really unwell, and yet he still blows you away in the race. I mean, you know, Daniel you know, qualified ninth, finished twelfth. Norris started 11th, finished 8th. Um, you know, really, and he said he just had no pace. Right from the beginning of the Grand Prix, he was struggling and, and just could never never get into a comfortable uh, rhythm. And really just so strange, because Daniel, throughout his career, before he joined McLaren, has always um, been such a strong driver, right from his first season alongside Sebastian Vettel in the Red Bull. You know, he, when he first went to um, Renault, as it was called then, uh, Alpine as it is now, you know, he had, he had, I think, about half a season before he really got on the pace. But then he was he was phenomenal. And I think everyone expected him to have a betting in period at McLaren. Um, and then, you know, res- a normal service would be resumed. But it just it, it doesn't look like happening. And um, as you said, you know, we're getting on for a season and a half now. Uh, this can't continue. He can't continue indefinitely, or, or he will. He will not certainly stay at McLaren. I would. I would suggest. And he's being a little bit coy on exactly how long his contract is with McLaren. They described it as a multi-year deal, but uh, I don't think it's anyone is entirely certain whether or not his seat for next year is is definitely uh, a solid a solid contractual obligation from McLaren, or whether or not there's a way for them to. Uh, to, to, to switch him out if they feel it's necessary. So tough times for Dan. I mean, I think he's a hugely popular driver. He's such a positive guy. He has performed some of the most phenomenal passing moves, you know, in, in uh, recent history in Formula One. And when he, you know, we know that he was competitive for a long period against Max in the Red Bull. So, uh, and you wouldn't have thought that that talent would have drained away. Uh, he's still fairly young and, and so, uh, certainly very motivated. So it is a quandary, and I would hate to see him lose his seat at McLaren, honestly. I think he's a great guy, uh, and um, I'd love for him to find a way to turn this performance around, honestly. Yeah, no, I'm with you 100%. And and yet, I do know that 
McLaren has plenty of people that would be interested in that seat, uh, <laughs> one of which being uh, Pato Award, the uh, IndyCar driver I interviewed last podcast, last episode, who you know has made it quite clear that his interests are first and foremost in Formula One if it weren't for those pesky super licenses. But, yeah, I mean, you know, so obviously there is that push-pull of – uh, being team principal, uh, you know, or CEO of a team, you obviously, you want to make sure that you're giving top-notch drivers that I think a lot of people still think Ricardo is, including myself, a real chance to sort out and give him the best possible package. And yet, at some point, you just have to, you know, minimize damages in, you know, release, right? So, uh, we are... Seeing, we'll see how this season progresses, but we are starting to get into that period of time with Ricardo. But who knows? I mean, maybe he'll win Monaco and uh, yeah. we'll sail off in the distance, So, and it will be no problem. Of course, McLaren have a lot of seats at their disposal now, so they could they may say, okay, Dan, we're not going to give you the F1 seat anymore, but hey, how about Formula E or Extreme E or or <laughs> the other number of racing ventures yeah. that we've started in the last week? So, Right, right. But what it, what's the uh, what's the English term? Sawed off, maybe might be the one for that. <laughs> uh, so, but uh, um, yeah, this ultimately was just a warm up weekend. Next week is the biggest weekend in racing. If you're a road racing fan, well, I guess one of the races isn't road racing, but whatever. Single seater uh, fan. We've, yeah, we have the Monaco Grand Prix next weekend. The uh, jewel in the crown of the bigger crown of the other jewel that's so good. Um, there's a lot of jewels and crowns is my point. Um, and the the boats are on real harbors. There's actual water there. That's another thing. Um, we also have the Indianapolis 500, one of the biggest races in the world. And uh, obviously the biggest IndyCar race. It's worth double points. And real quick, uh, Scott Dixon, friend of the show, and uh, six-time champion at, in IndyCar will start the Indianapolis 500, the 2022 version, on pole position. He won pole position with an average speed of over 234 miles an hour around that track. Something, something. And then IMSA takes a week off, but IMSA will be at my most important uh, race weekend of the year, which is the Detroit Grand Prix the following weekend, and they race on Saturday on June 4th. So we've got Lots of racing coming up, and I don't know exactly how I'll be dissecting all the different podcasts because there's going to be a lot of coverage coming, and I'm not, and so there might be a little bit of time delays of some conversations. But this is this is the uh, race weekend to beat all race weekends that we've got coming. It is indeed. But all of that, all of that is just boring. Compared to my latest YouTube video. Oh, Chris, do you know that the Toyota RAV4 Prime has an 18.1 kilowatt hour battery pack and Toyota claims will give you um, 42 miles of electric only driving if you want. But sometimes people go more than 42 miles in a stint which means that even if you start with a full battery pack, it's going to run out and you're going to have to just rely on good old-fashioned internal combustion engines with regular hybrid power helping out here and there. 
What does that mean? That means that a fuel economy test was in order, and hey, hey, I did one. I did a fuel economy test with a drained uh, battery pack in the uh, RAV4 Prime, and it is epic and mega and the most amazing video you'll ever see. Also, I did uh, last Friday, I put together a review of the Subaru Forester Wilderness, which is a second car to get the Wilderness badge on it from Subaru, and that's kind of becoming their badge for the off-roadiest version of their cars. So we have the Outback Wilderness, now we have the Forester Wilderness. You get a little bit more ground clearance, you get a front skid plate, you get all-terrain tires and some other things like that. So I did a video on that one as well. Good stuff, Chris. Good, good stuff. I got questions on the RAV4 Prime test. So were you trying to do hypermiling? So you drain the battery and then what, you just tailgated other people to try and reduce your wind resistance? Absolutely not. No, 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 no. This was, I'm going to drive fairly normally, you know, not not burnouts at every stoplight, but, you know, conservatively perhaps for enthusiasts, but normally otherwise, and just see where we are compared to advertised fuel economy claims, basically. Um, sad news is I did it in rainy 40-degree weather in Michigan, so <laughs> not not the best start for, uh, for that poor old uh, RAV4 Prime, but hey... People, some people live in Michigan, and sometimes it's forty degrees, and you still need to get places. So. <laughs> well, I think any anything that uh, helps you um, ease the pain of five dollars a gallon is a good thing. And well, there you go, and 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 incentive to uh, keep that uh, battery pack nice and charged because yeah, it gets infinity miles to the gallon uh, when you are uh, on electricity only. So, but. Uh, that is all for now. I want to thank you for listening. Please take a moment to review us on iTunes or on whatever platform you get our podcasts. Please leave comments on the episode of your choice by going to funwithcars.com. As always, I can be reached at feedback at funwithcars.com. Tweet us at fun underscore with underscore cars. And check out that Facebook page of ours, facebook.com slash fwcars. Oh, Chris, always great to speak with you. Even better when we talk Formula One. Yes, thank you, Robin. You too. I'm Robin Warner. Goodbye.